Hello and welcome to the revolution. Welcome to the Liberty Hour of Inform Life Radio. Uh, streaming to you here. I think we're on Rumble and Twitter and Facebook. Uh, I think those are all for right now. Um, Got to always remind you that the views expressed are not necessarily those of um, Informed Choice Washington, who are the sponsors of this Liberty Hour, um, or KKNW. We're just here to bring you great information. We're not giving medical advice or legal advice, bringing the information so you can make informed decisions in your life. Um, we have got today with us, Bob Reynolds is joining from Washington State. Hey. Hi, Bernadette. Hey, so, you know, you take off your CHD Washington hat from the health hour, and now we are with Liberty Hour, Informed Choice Washington, that great organization. Um, and, you know, we're like everybody else, Bob. We need donations to keep this show on the air. So I forgot to say that in the health hour, but I think everybody knows. And everybody's just, you know, there's there are so many great places to give money now that... I guess it's a good problem to have that there's so many great organizations that have arisen and come to be doing amazing work, but don't forget about us. We were around even before COVID <laughs> <laughs> still doing great work and heading toward the legislative session coming in January. And, you know, uh, you and others um, go down to Olympia and you work with some really great legislators. Yes, in Washington state, there are some great legislators. Bills um, don't always get heard, but they are dropped. And a and lot of education bills, happens. Yeah, Bernadette, and a lot of bills get filed without our urging. Uh, I've been amazed yeah. at what some of our legislators have done. So we don't have a, uh, a patent on the health freedom t subject. <laughs> When not I'm, anymore. No, no, it's been great. Yeah, it, it has been great. And and while some of these really good bills have not yet um, passed, I, I'm i a believer they will, some really bad bills have been stopped. Not all of them, but there have been some that there's been enough noise and public um, outcry that some have stalled or been defeated. So we need to keep that up. And that that takes a lot. So we do appreciate the support um, of individuals. So um, we, we're going to keep a very positive attitude. Our first in our health hour just a bit ago, if anybody missed it, we were doing going reviewing the gift of the Magi. We were looking at the health benefits of gold and frankincense and myrrh amazing anti-inflammatory antiviral healing that you can get with at least the frankincense and myrrh and gold has its other medicinal uses this hour we're turning toward litigation positive litigation because we're going to stay hopeful it's almost christmas we're going to bring on attorney pete serrano who is one of the founders of the silent majority foundation and pete i've got to say the majority are silent no more because of you and individuals like you. So welcome to the Liberty Hour. Well, I, I really appreciate that, Bernadette. And certainly it's not on my account. You know, like you said, uh, I got the lead in here with Bob. Informed Choice has been around a while. They preceded us so that, you know, not so silent majority has been 
trickling well before what we do. We're just blessed that through the Silent Majority Foundation, we can kind of expand some of the footprint here. We're able to, you know, through our legal efforts, litigate in court, but the bills that you all file and pre-file and legislative efforts, you know, we have to have that kind of trifecta of the legislation, the litigation, and the advocacy that collectively mm-hmm. we do. So, you know, God yes. bless all in your work. And and uh, before we get too deep into it, Merry, Merry Christmas to both of you. Oh, Merry Christmas to you, Pete, and to yours. Merry Christmas, Pete, Thank and your you. family. Thank you. So, uh, Pete, for those um, listeners and viewers who are new to you, can you give us a little backstory about you? Because Silent Majority Foundation is pretty new. So how did this all come to be? Yeah, so Silent Majority Foundation is right around two and a half years old. We were kind of birthed uh, out of necessity for the COVID litigation in Washington State. It started with a single plaintiff case in Franklin County. Uh, For those who aren't in Washington, that's southeastern Washington, county of about 90 to 100,000 people. Uh, There's a jail there and a gentleman approached me who worked at the jail and said, hey, there's a vaccine mandate and I'd like to object and I'm getting nowhere. So I might have to sue the Department of Corrections. And simultaneously, I was working for the state of Washington uh, on our nuclear power plant uh, known as Energy Northwest. And uh, at the time, fortunately, we didn't have a vaccine mandate. So I was like, oh, okay, that's odd that you guys have one and we don't. But, you know, things were good. And then I just watched as the COVID narrative was kind of crumbling. I sit on Pasco City Council. That's the seat of Franklin County. And I had a lot of business people, small businesses, restaurateurs in in particular, who were saying, can you stop the enforcement? Liquor Cannabis Board is coming after me, not for the liquor I'm serving, not for the underage kids I'm serving, which they weren't. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, But for my patrons wearing masks or not wearing masks. And we literally had liquor canvas board license uh, officers come in and say, hey, you're not enforcing that patron's mask. You know, Bob, you're not enforcing Bernadette's mask wearing. You're going to lose your liquor license. It's it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the whole purpose of liquor cannabis board is to make sure the product's good and you're not over serving. You're not serving underage, that sort of thing. You know, you don't want someone to get alcohol poisoning or to be too inebriated to drive. Uh, And here they were worried about whether or not you told someone to wear a mask. And then, of course, mind you, if they're drinking, they get to take the mask off to drink and to eat and then put it right back on. So, I mean, it was a frustrating but silly notion. So that's kind of really what sparked. You know, I've always obviously as a city council member, I've always had public service in my heart. But um You know, when I saw these people who of no fault of their own, you know, they didn't have the resources. If you all remember putting up tents and warmers and, you know, all these crazy things where somehow magically in a a vinyl tent outside, you're going to be safer than, you know, indoors with duct work and that sort of thing. Not being an engineer, I thought that was safer, you know, the indoors. But uh, yeah, so that's that's really what spurred the birth of Silent Majority Foundation. Prior to that, like I said, I was at Energy Northwest. I had been an environmental attorney for about a decade and a quarter. And uh, I really loved the administrative law, uh, trying to work within or around governmental regulations. So I think, you know, Silent Majority Foundation and the litigation we do benefits from that background. 
Fantastic. Oh, I thought that Bob was about to jump in, so I didn't want to cut him off, but you didn't. <laughs> no, I'm just, uh, I'm sorry. I forgot you were a city council member. So you definitely have uh, some great knowledge into the administrative processes that we have in our civil agencies. So pretty cool. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, life's been really good to me. I've had a lot of uh, really great experiences that kind of build on one another. So I feel very fortunate, very blessed um, that I've, you know, in part, I've been willing to stick my neck out, run for a city council position when I'd only been in Pasco, I think two and a half years, you know, I was still a pretty unknown quantity, um, but I saw a need in our community and I saw a need on the council. Um, and then, you know, to the point, like it's, things have just built on one another. I started my first law school or post law school job was suing the government on the Administrative Procedures Act and Clean Water Act. And, you know, I remember talking to my then, I think, mid-80s grandfather, World War II veteran, um, and telling him, and he's like, well, Peter, you know, isn't it great that we live in a country that allows you to do that? And I, I had never thought of that, right? You know, like, you get to sue the government to keep them in check. Now, I mean, it's still kind of rigged, but... <laughs> <laughs> but at least have the opportunity to show up at the table and have the conversation. We do live in a great nation. And it, I think it has taken several years and individuals like you willing to not give up to figure out what this, what the law is, what our rights are, and then refuse to give up, you know, because this country's worth saving and it's just, getting crazier every day, but we're going to focus on the positive things. So um, do you want to tell us now about like, you want to list a success? Tell us uh, something um, that you've done and it's all, it's through, you've completed. Yeah. I mean, most of our litigation is still in process, um, but you know, some of the, the awesome litigation we did, did we worked with you all on some of the rulemaking that stopped rules that yes. were coming down from Office of Financial Management. That's the benefit to the legislative element because it's kind of your, whether it's a short session here in Washington that's two and a half months or the long session that's roughly four and a half, you have the ability to work on either bills or stopping some sort of legislative effort or uh, executive effort through the agencies. And so, you know, we've, we've seen that there have been successes challenging agency rulemaking, you know, either collaboratively with you all and others, or there have been a couple on our own that we've pushed back on some of those confined animal feed operations that we've challenged. Um, you know, initially it's like, wow, it's probably not a bad idea to let pigs have more spaces. But when you start to whittle down that head count and there's really no basis for saying, you know, X number of chickens here. It's like, you're really taking that rancher or farmer's rights and their ability to not just make profit, but, you know, eventually you're going to have some arbitrary metric. And that's the problem is the state of Washington. Sometimes they're very slow to get to that arbitrary number or in other cases, they jump right at it. Right. And mm -hmm. when they jump to it, it's easy to really call it out. But uh, for example, with those feed operations, it was very clear that they were leading down this path uh, whereby they would have an arbitrary metric. And it's like, well, that's that's not how you should regulate. You should regulate the environment based on the conditions and the impacts of X, Y, Z operation to it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we've had some successes there. We're having some incremental successes in the court, for example, uh, you know, I know we're 
we're not we're talking about health stuff, but we have a firearms case that's going to be huge. And I think we're going to see actually a victory in what's called motion for summary judgment. That's where a party says, no, there's no facts in dispute and the law is clearly on my side. And if you get a judge to sign off on that, the case is done. I mean, obviously, it can get appealed just like everything else does. And we all know our dear friend Bob Ferguson, the attorney general, doesn't like to lose. He touts his winning record all the time, whether it's Trump, COVID, firearms. Um, I think we've been called the firearms uh, lobbying. And I've always said this. If, if Silent Majority Foundation is the firearms lobby of Washington, we are hosed. We have three attorneys and about four support staff and a budget of le- right around half a million dollars. And so when Bob Ferguson calls that uh, out, it's like, come on, buddy. But that's that's teed up for January 22nd in mm. state court. And I think I really believe that we've got a judge. He's flat out said, I want to know what the Constitution says. There's nothing else that matters in this case. And if if, in fact, the law that we're challenging is constitutional, then everything else matters. But if it's not, then the law is illegal. It's void. And. We're just going to let it go by the wayside and state, if you want to appeal it, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I anticipate that uh, he'll probably rule in our favor just the way he's tipped his hand, the way he's discussed how he wants to see the case presented. Um, you know, I mean, if, if you pay attention, you can learn a lot, right? Right. And with this particular judge, I tend to go to these hearings that are supposed to be 10 minutes and take 40 minutes. I say about five minutes worth and let the opposing counsel just keep digging. <laughs> yeah. Then, you know, sometimes you make friends by just just sitting by the wayside and smiling. Yeah, and so- here here in Tennessee there were a couple of bills that um once people opposed the bill began speaking, they sold it. The bill was going to pass because what they said was so appalling to the people who were for the bill. You know what I mean? It's like yep. go ahead, just keep talking because yeah, you're exactly the reason why this bill needs to pass. Everything you're saying. I do find it a bit disturbing how Bob Ferguson on social media likes to tout his victories or supposed victories. He's he's it seems petulant. It seems like I don't know why you need a public official going na na na. It's really well, strange. Is well, we we have to be careful. Um, we can't talk uh, politics on on our show. We can talk. Um, about the issues, but because I I'm almost... talking about the issue of an AG touting <laughs> stuff on social media. Right, I was silencing right. myself from the, <laughs> that, that individual. That was your running for governor. Oh, you're going to bow. Okay, I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> okay, okay, I got you. I got you. <laughs> right. Stopping. No, I, yeah. But, yeah, but you have other. You have you have a breadth of coverage in your silent majority work right yeah yeah absolutely and you know one of the we've got several health cases we're representing um four different doctors who are losing licenses or potentially losing licenses um due to prescribing ivermectin and keeping people out of the hospital um we have the one that you're teeing up there bernadette on zimmerman versus peace health i think is a great case um that case is where we have 50 plaintiffs who worked for peace health will technically still work for peace health they've just been on administrative leave without pay for going on 28 months 26 months um you know we were calculating damages most of these people have suffered 
loss of wages nearing 200 to three or almost $400,000 at this point. Some have fortunately gotten employed and some have been simply on unemployment um, throughout this entire time. Uh, this is all due to their desi desire to not be vaccinated or shot for the COVID-19 receiving the shot. And uh, this case is really intriguing because we have a judge, we had a judge, then it was reassigned to a judge, literally her first case uh, because she was appointed and uh, by well nominated and then appointed uh, as judge this summer. So she's a Biden appointee. We had what's called a motion to dismiss by Peace Health, where they said, no, these claims are not viable. And we had about six claims. And the judge said, no, um, there are a handful of claims that need to survive this motion to dismiss. I'd like to see the evidence to support the claims. Oh, and by the way, Peace Health, by January 10th, you have to respond to the new allegations and what's called an amended complaint. So we brought a, a second complaint. It was just kind of touched up. We added, I think, a couple of plaintiffs and a couple of claims specifically related to hostile work environment. And the judge at that point said, no, Peace Health, you need to brief those issues. So we have now three live claims and up to potentially six. And we're in the process of sending information over to Peace Health and their legal team to really gin up what these damages look like. And I think that's going to be a potential leverage to either continue in litigation or if our clients desire and if Peace Health desires to settle the matter. Uh, either way, you know, this is really a tremendous victory because I've not really seen many, if any of these mandate cases uh, survive a motion to dismiss specifically in Washington. Um, as I've watched across the country, there are probably a handful, I'd say maybe 10 to 20 percent, even in favorable jurisdictions. But in Washington, I think we're really kind of the one that's pushing the ball so far. Um, others have been appealed, but that's post loss. So it's really exciting. You know, that 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 momentum hopefully moves forward with the new year and carries and, you know, we'll engage Peace Health if our clients want on some sort of settlement. If not, we'll just keep digging at them, keep throwing information and start deposing people. And eventually they're going to get too uncomfortable. It, it really amazes me how we, we've got these beautiful laws. But what you what, when you look out there of all these lawsuits filed, it's less about the strength of the lawsuit and more about the the willingness of the judge to follow the law. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, um, there are certainly, I know there are certain courts I go into and I have a much more difficult case to plead. Whether or yeah. not, I mean, it could literally be the same case in front of a different judge in that court or the same case in front of a judge in XYZ court. That's not this one. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's their personality issues and then just simple, you know, I don't know if there's a lack of, I don't want to call it a lack of integrity, but you know, certainly a lack of setting aside one's own positions or opinions. You know, um, I do have certain judges. It's like, crap, I drew that one again. Um, and that makes it, it's frustrating because the cases, um, 
it, sometimes it's not about the merits of the case or how it marries with the law. And, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to do your best. And in that case, if you know you've got that wrong judge, then just continually build the case for the appellate record. You know, make mm-hmm. sure there's adequate discovery, factual information so that when or if the judge dismisses the case, that we're ready to take that to the next court up and say, hey, look, you know, judge, look beyond these 10 facts here or even this single fact here, which was adequate. Um, you know, that's that's unfortunately we have to play trial and appellate lawyers simultaneously because of this kind of circumstance. That's the beauty of the design of it, though, isn't it, that you do have that recourse, you know, that kind of human flaw is built into the system that you can appeal. Um, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's that's where I love the way the founders of our nation, the founders of our state, they've built these checks and balances. You know, it's not just executive, legislative, judicial, but then there are tiers within each whereby Mm -hmm. hopefully uh sanity reigns right um sometimes not always the case but you know you go ahead well i was going to say where we're absolutely lacking checks and balances is in our public health system there's no it's run like the military the top guy cdc says boo and everybody has to jump and you pretty much get court-martialed if you decide to stand up against them. And that has to change. If we could have the public health infrastructure have the same checks and balances along the way, top to bottom and side to side, I mean, we could have a brilliant um, system. Yeah, I mean, you know, we are absolutely seeing that play out in other litigation that we're doing. You know, we've got uh, our case Turner versus Washington Medical Commission, where several doctors who have been or are being investigated by the Washington Medical Commission, um, Dr. Michael Turner, Ryan Cole, probably a pretty well-known name, Dr. Renata Moon, and Dr. Richard Wilkinson. Um, So, Cole practiced in Idaho, but he had a complaint against his Washington license. Moon is a pediatrician, and she got in trouble for speaking out at Senator Ron Johnson's hearing. I mean, what a joke. You know, this is a U.S. senator invites you to come talk to him in a public forum. And then, you know, Washington Medical Commission is now investigating her license for that. Washington State University would not renew her contract. And as far as we can tell from what we've been given with her historical personnel file, um, yeah, there were some students that complained, but it wasn't like her reviews were still extremely high Mm -hmm. and her performance was adequate or above, I mean, certainly above adequate. Um, And the only thing that we can see to them not renewing is simply because she spoke at Johnson's hearing, which is a terrifying place to be in where you have a public university that's publicly funded. It's literally a state agency. And they're saying, doctor, no, you can't take your personal time. And she actually took PTO ahead, requested it, jumped through the hoops, had stuff covered in case she couldn't make her lecture and didn't identify herself as a Washington state university professor or an employee thereof. And they still don't renew her contract. Yeah. That is a terrible. Yeah. She spoke of what she saw in her clinical settings. Exactly. I mean, it'd be one thing if she said, Hey, look, you know, um, COVID was birth of 
a tiny, uh, a dozen tiny purple dragons, and they came and visited me last night. I, I, yeah, I could see like we might want to check on her to make sure she's okay, but that wasn't the case. If for those listening, you know, and and you all probably recall, she held up the blank insert. Yeah. So how am I supposed to give informed consent with no information mm-hmm. to children? The children. And, you know, has have we given yet? I guess, Bob, we need to look into seeing if we can get copies of the Wuhan um, cover up to the members of the Washington Medical Commission. They need to see that. They need to read that book because everything they think they know about what they are doing will be turned on its head. Have you read, you, you don't have time to read these kind of books. <laughs> I haven't read it. I do see it behind, proudly displayed behind you though. Oh um, yeah. Oh my goodness. It is. And Bob. So, yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, they're going to, I think that you could actually probably turn this into a movie or a, a, a series to, to get all of the components through. Absolutely astounding. Everything. And I think about like, the things that were revealed in the Ron Johnson roundtables, little bits of that, little bits of this. And the first thing we heard from it was that Sasha Latapova was saying, oh, these these aren't really Pfizer products. These are Department of Defense. And we're like, what? Well, when you read the Wuhan book, holy cow, yes. I mean, the whole thing, I fully cited, it is insane. So, you know, I do encourage people to get the book, read the book, and I believe it's available on audio. I need to get the audio because I'm going to have to read it a couple of times. So as I drive back and forth to Nashville, I want to listen to it again. Just mind-blowing. And the very fact that these EUA products, when they came out, you you could not mandate them. So how on the earth are you even in a position needing to fight for your clients when it was illegal for them to be mandated in the first place? What? Yeah, that one's been interesting. You know, I don't think a single, well, maybe somewhere else in the country, almost all judges have rejected that notion that the EUA doesn't allow for mandates, uh, specifically due to informed consent and and the authority under which the product was so-called, was created fundamentally, right? And um, it's been interesting watching that litigation play out because judges, I just don't think grasp it. And there's really not a very simple or clean way to plead it. Um, Every time I've looked at it, you know, you're talking about paragraphs upon paragraphs or pages upon pages about what the EUA looks like and what the law says and how it's been interpreted. And I just, I think part of the issue is that it's not as concise or clear or clean as it should be. Um, and it, it, I think that's one of those uphill battles for the attorneys that we have to really figure out how do we get this in a very succinct manner um, such that a judge can actually not feel like he or she's going out on a limb. And and that's really not how we should have to practice law. That's unfortunately just how we yeah. force to practicing law under this, these conditions. But it, to me, I don't know, because I'm not a, an attorney, but it just seems the, the language in there repeated several times that individuals must be told they have the option to not get this product. I mean, that's pretty much spelled out in plain words that they have to be told they can opt out of getting this product. And, you know, it, every human rights declaration considers 
withholding somebody's job, payment, food, anything, um, unless you behave in a certain way, they consider that coercion and unethical. So I, I get what you're saying that they, you know, they probably could have, maybe if they just put the word mandate in there, you can't mandate rather than everybody needs to be told they have the, they can opt out. But um, yeah, you know, they just don't, we don't have enough people with moral courage. Yeah, I mean, that that certainly has to do with it. And I still remember one of the first cases I brought, you know, Jacobson versus Massachusetts in 19, I think the oh, case was decided, yeah, I'm like, like 12 or 13, but it started from a 1905 mandate. Yeah. And there were so many factual dissimilarities between the mandate that we were under in 2020 and 2021 and kind of still ongoing in some places. Um, they were so factually dissimilar. It just seemed disingenuous to me that that was the case that they were going to hang their hat on, you know, here. Oh yeah. You know, you had this minor penalty and $5 a day and you could buy your way out of it. And it was specific to a very, a location. It wasn't the United States of America. It was, you know, uh, either in Boston or some peripheral city in Boston, if I recall, And so you had all these factors that led it into like, this is a local health decision and what they adopted legislatively, nonetheless, as opposed to a mandate that came out from the United States president and, or, you know, the governor of the state of Washington or, or your boss, whoever it was that lacked that authority. So it's. There was was no comparison to what was said in, and, the Jacobson decision absolutely did not say that it's okay to mandate vaccines. Anybody who reads that. And the bit that I didn't know about till a couple of years ago when I really read it thoroughly, that just astounds me is that Supreme Court said, we're not going to weigh in on whether or not these shots are safe or effective. They might not be either. And in fact, you know, the plaintiff has brought forward some pretty serious concerns of injury. He was injured. His son was injured. He's already had this shot like twice in England. And he doesn't want to do it again because he felt so horrible the first two times. Right. And he doesn't want to do it again. They said, um, but um, it's not our job to make a decision on the medicine or the science we just follow the consensus. And there it was that put the nail in the coffin all the way up until now that everybody, all the the courts don't feel like they can rule on the science. And, and it, that's okay if you've got an ethical scientific system. If the science is trustworthy, if the journals were trustworthy, if it wasn't bought and skewed and biased, then maybe. But apparently, even back then, <laughs> um, it that wasn't the case. People were getting multiple doses and feeling awful. So that part was very comparable. And the fact that they were following the consensus, that's comparable. But the outcome, a $5 penalty for not getting it, that's not losing your job. Exactly. You know, losing. And and I think that, you know, that was kind of the launching pad for the legal community. And and I think it's just so unfortunate that that's where it started because this was just clearly not apples to apples. It was something that, I mean, and how many times do you hear people talk about even, even in the law and within courts, it's like, oh, well, scientifically we can prove that. And it's like, now 
the weight given to credible experts, yet Jacobson somehow was the leading edge of the COVID sword, uh, not <laughs> yeah. relying on, you know, I don't know what, 120 or 110 years of science that we could have somehow, and people, including our organization, continually made efforts to show there were better scientific ways to approach this than mandating an unproven product. Right. And, and so once again, yeah, for the listeners, exactly, we're, with, exactly. we're with Pete Hey, Sorano. Bob, I... Oh, sorry. Oh, no, you're good. We had a little lag there. Go ahead. I just wanted to remind the listeners, we're here with Pete Are we Sorano having a leg? of the Silent Majority Foundation. And we, uh, th- that case that you're talking about, Jacobson versus Mass, if it has to do with the leading edge of why they had COVID mandates, it almost doesn't stand to reason then. I mean, if, you're, if you've got some people screaming to have people get shot under a mandate of, of, for, for vaccinations, well then, fine. Let those people get those shots. They're protected. That's, those are the squeaky wheels who wanted the shots. And, and if people don't want to get it, then they don't have to. And the choice, again, is the answer where we don't need government intervention to make these decisions. Well, I think that we we kind of all have figured yeah, out. That, I, mean, I think we've got. Sorry, fellas. I think we've got a lag between the three of us. So we're. I apologize that we're going to be tripping over each other a little bit. But I, I believe what COVID and when you read the Wuhan book, you really see this was a giant exercise to see if it was going to play out like their tabletop with the surveillance, with people complying, with the fear used to, you know, shut down a whole lot of things, just to see how we would behave and what we would do. So, you know, if we're trying to find logic in reasoning in in what they were doing, that only works if you're looking at the big picture of where they want to go and what's coming next, you know. Um, but Hey, Bob, you you um, have a question here you wanted to ask Pete about his citizen volunteer researchers. What's, what's well, that? Well, only if, only if Pete wants to bring it up. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, you know, one thing that we've shouted out, people have asked us, how can we help? And one of the ways that we've suggested is if folks would like to actually get involved, we can do what's called a Public Records Act request. It's the state equivalent of a FOIA, Freedom of Information Act request. And we've got a lot of questions that the Washington Medical Commission has dodged. And we've got a lot of questions that we believe they have record of, whether it's via email or their so-called studies and their data. Um, And so we have put a call out for, and we've received a couple. And so since we've only had one or two trickle in saying they're willing to help, we've not really launched this, but we would really like to start asking records from the Washington Medical Commission on how they made their decisions on what so-called evidence did they rely on to uh, adopt their COVID-19 misinformation position statement. And that's the one that they're enforcing against these doctors who prescribed ivermectin uh, for the treatment of COVID-19. And now they're seeking to punish these doctors. And it's Mm -hmm. It's a pretty disingenuous statement because it starts off stating that we support the Federation of State Medical Board's COVID position statement. So we know where it came from, came Mm -hmm. from the Federation of State Medical Boards. The WMC was too lazy to do its own homework. Um, You know, look, I'm not going to not pull punches. These people are corrupt. 
And, you know, they're taking licenses from doctors who kept people out of the hospital. And quite frankly, sadly, I don't think they even understand what they're doing, not the effect of their behavior, meaning they understand that they're taking these doctors' licenses. I don't think they understand what they're doing and what they're basing it on. Mm-hmm. We've brought experts. I know Ryan Cole had Pierre Corey as one of his experts. Uh, we had Dr. Lee Merritt, and she she got a little aggressive. So okay, so be it. Um, but you know, if it doesn't fit the narrative, back to what Bernadette said about bought and paid for, you know, if it doesn't fit their narrative of their so-called gold standard studies that are double blind placebos, which mind you, there were very few, if any, for COVID treatment. But somehow the weight of proving that ivermectin safe and effective is so much greater than their claim that the shot was safe and effective. And their experts just simply get to make these rote statements. Oh, it's safe and effective. I had one of their experts on the witness stand. uh, I don't know. It was probably early spring or maybe late last year. It's kind of all running together. Um, And I asked her, I said, Dr. Wald, um, I need you to define safe, effective, and safe and effective. And then I need you to apply each one of those words in context of the COVID-19 vaccination. Well, Mr. Serrano, uh, when the COVID, she didn't call them shots, when the COVID vaccines first came out, I lined my kids up to get them. Okay, great. How was it safe? How was it effective? How was it safe and effective? Well, you know that it was unlikely to... I need you to answer these questions. And at a certain point, because the Washington Medical Commission is my judge, they're the panelists that are sitting to hear the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, they're the jury. And then they're literally the judge is an administrative law judge hired by the state. The defense counsel is provided by the Washington attorney general. And then these experts oh, no. are their hired experts. So eventually it's like, listen, can you answer the question or not? Well, I've, I have. I, I've told you that my kids got it. It's like, okay, well, clearly this this is one that's going for appeal. And then we find out, you know, for a three to five day transcript, it's ten to $12,000 on top of all the pleadings. And of course, the state's not going to pay that. So our clients are out all this money if they want to continue and get in a real court of law, not some you know, backwards, backwoods commission. Um, Look, I usually try to be deferential, but these people have no business doing what they're doing. They're clearly political appointees who have an agenda to work with. And I hope my clients, uh, when they hear this, you know, they might not be happy with their lawyer calling out their jury and their judge, but you know what? It is what it is. We need to put this information out there. These commissioners are just they're walking blindly with the group think that transcript fee seems prohibitive and punitive and well it is i mean so perfect example we have a client who we're appealing a case on the transcript because it is five days of testimony and their claim will be well you chose that long it's like well yeah i i needed experts so did you you could have not pled your case we could have cut it in half because at the end of the day i guess honestly we could have just shown up and said We'll agree to disagree and sue you in a real court. The problem is by statute, we're required to go through this process. And so you don't get a judge and a jury of your peers until you appeal it. And so, you know, your seventh amendment right 
to like a real trial doesn't exist here by statute, by creation of law. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that we, to your point, you know, we, so we spend five days litigating this issue, get this thousand page or whatever transcript. And then, you know, the judge, the ju- not the judge, our client ends up with a $15,000 fine. And it's like, I could pay the fine or I could keep suing and spend even more money when just the transcript alone is almost dollar for dollar on the fine. And it's like, it's almost as though they've calculated how to really hose these people. Yeah. And, and don't worry. This isn't political talk. These are appointees. Oh, <laughs> That's funny. But no, we have we have to come down on them because this isn't about just this issue. This isn't about about these doctors and ivermectin. This is about the powers that shouldn't be trying to state and prove and lay the groundwork in the president that we control the narrative. We control what's medicine. We control what you have access to. We cannot lose this. We, We can't. Absolutely. We, and that's why this fight is so critical, whether it's COVID, whether it's other civil rights to stand for, well, to stand against the destruction of this nation. Look, mm-hmm. it is one nation under God. I mean, that's, that's been what we have said. I've said since, you know, practically I could talk right mm-hmm. with my hand over my heart, you know, one nation under God. And I do believe that this is a divinely inspired country, that the Constitution was divinely inspired. When you look at even the Washington Constitution, it talks about our supreme creator being the foundation of of this state. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's no question that any, you know, political wins, it disassociates you and I from God. And that's the protection we need. And that's what makes this country special. And I, I know there are other nations in the world that have similar connections, but we were given the gift of a constitution through that connection. Yeah. And that protects you and I against yeah. and from the government. What are your feelings moving toward the new year? We're wrapping up 2023 and you've got a lot of work under your belt. You've seeing how the other side is going to play, the arguments they're going to throw at you. What's your feeling moving into 2024? I'm extremely positive. I think um, I think there are a lot of changes, winds of change. I mean, from just specific to Silent Majority Foundation's work and, and you know, and you pulled it up, silentmajorityfoundation.org is where you can find it. We'll get more of it on the website. There was, anyway, um, we'll get more of it on the website uh, so that folks, the whole purpose of having that website is so folks can go in and look at what we're doing, read our pleadings, borrow from our pleadings, share them, talk to your neighbors. And if you're right. going to go pro se litigant, you know, meaning without an attorney, take it's free. It's out there. You know, whatever you want of ours, it's, it's, it's there. Um, but with the work that we're doing, I am extremely excited. I mean, like I said, the the gun rights case in January, I think there's I think there's a strong path to victory in early January. The judge might take some time to rule, but he'll have less than 30 days to do so. So, you know, we might have a Valentine's Day present or, or really hopefully a pre-Valentine's Day present. It might even give it to us that day. Um, so I'm excited about that. That will impact so much of the other firearms work we're doing and potentially free us up to do even more of that. 
Um, mm-hmm. Like I mentioned, Peace Health, that case, uh, the fact that it survived dismissal and now we're putting, you know, I, I think our the evidence we're putting forward just in narrative is like 40 pages of how these people were so mistreated. And then it says, oh, by the way, I've got a whole spreadsheet of, of money that they've lost. Probably not going to share that because that's our calculation. And then it's a single sentence of like lost X, Y, and Z. And oh, here are the damages available under the law. And so I, I'm very hopeful for that case. I, I think these cases with the doctors, um, as we start to get the punishment from the medical commission, I think we're going to have appealable issues. And we've intentionally litigated these issues. We've brought specific motions such that we can raise them on appeal, mm-hmm. knowing that the commission's not going to touch them live. So uh, we've intentionally structured our cases. And some people say, well, you know, it seems like it's laborious. It seems like it's taking too long. It's like, unfortunately, the court process, two to three years is quick. But on Mm -hmm. top of that, the process that we're using is we expedite where we can. We pull back where we need to. And we make sure that there's adequate evidence such that an appellate court can look at it and review and say, man, these guys really pled the right case and the judge or whoever it is in that case is screwed up. So I'm, I'm positive. And I know you can't talk politics, um, but I do think there are some winds changing there. Oh, that's very exciting. I'm glad that you're, you're hopeful there. Um, I am. I, yeah. I really am. Uh, and I think, you know, there'll be some changes next time we talk that I think I'll play my hand out a little bit more of, of where I see it without getting political. Well, you know, I, I've said this many times before. I feel like we're a nation experiencing a healing crisis. Like in in medicine, if you get a, a fever, you know, it has to get to a you know certain point, and then when the fever breaks, you know, then you have the recovery. Entering COVID, people didn't realize how sick this nation was. That everything was, you know, the agencies captured, our political system captured. There was so much corruption in everything. And along came COVID. When you read Wuhan and you see how that all emerged and how it came to be. But it sort of is acting like this this in, this infection that is bringing everything out. So you're seeing it. And it's um, it, we've got a long way to go for it to keep bubbling. But every pushback against revealing truth wakes more people up because the pushback itself, you're like, well, that doesn't even make sense. What are you talking about? What are you doing? You know, and like right now, it's so funny on, I'm okay, Nathan's reminding me, don't call it Twitter, it's X, but X <laughs> is so hard to say. It doesn't make a good verb. It, it's just really hard. But um, on social media platforms right now, the pharmaceutical industry and the corrupt players are working so hard to attack natural medicine and attack all of these other things. It is so revealing. And there's one guy in particular is up in Canada who's a professor at a college, and he's been a mouthpiece for years. Somebody did this. They looked him up, and they found out that he accepted like a $1.2 million um, fee or grant or something to go after vaccine misinformation, as it were. <laughs> it's like, well, for a million and a half, he's out there putting down every form of natural medicine that you can imagine and and bad-mouthing all of our heroes. But that exposes him. Yep. So 
all of this will be exposed. And so I, I too am very hopeful. I know that Bob is too. I think if we just stay tenacious and we just keep at it um, and, and what you're doing, Pete, with, I like how you describe that you're laying this foundation because you know that the trial that you're, you know, getting before a judge has to go on to survive the next level. And that has to be solid enough that it's going to ultimately win the bigger attack that birthed it, as it were. Absolutely. And, and that's that's exactly everything you just said is why I'm hopeful for 2024. We have so many people who are fighting in so many different arenas because of the level of illness, as you say, that was exposed. It's not just people fighting in medical freedom or, or Second Amendment issues. There are people fighting on so many different fronts. We have people who are willing to go, I mean, to a school board meeting. And I know that I shouldn't say it like that, but think of even 10 years ago, if someone went to a school board meeting, they were kind of wonky, right? Like, <laughs> like, you know, you as a city councilman, you have your standard five, right? They're about five to 10 in the audience that have been there either since like 1970 or or they're new to the area and they just love like local government. Yeah. But COVID exposed the need for the regular mom and the regular dad and even the student to show up. Think about getting a kid to go to a school campus on an evening to speak. Mm-hmm. It wasn't going to happen unless they were receiving an award, you know, when I grew up. Yeah. And so when I look at that, how how ill they forced this nation to become or, or maybe exposed it is at its core, I think it's been a great thing because it's activated people who otherwise were sleeping. Now, yeah. there's still more waking up to do. There's no question. And there's yeah. still more that we have... I'm, I'm sure we've barely scratched a piece of the scab off. Yeah. But it was so infected, it's oozing. Yeah. But yeah. We, and we do need more people to get involved. As people wake up, we do need more and more people to at least choose one thing. What's the most important thing to you having to do with your local government, your state government, or whatever, and get active. And you can pick one subject, one place, but do it. Because if we aren't there, if, if we aren't at the school board meetings, who is influencing the school board? If, if we aren't at the county commissioner meetings, who's influencing the county commissioners? And if we aren't walking the halls of our state capitals, who is there? And especially the state capital level, well, it's all your lobbyists. It's really, I've had so many times over the years where it's just me that day. As far as citizens walking around, I'm seeing lobbyists, 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 right? And me, and I will like have this wonderful impromptu conversation and go into a hearing. And because of that impromptu conversation, a conversation occurs in the committee, among the committee members, and potentially they vote a different way. They ask questions in a different way that elicits a really good response. We need more of that. And um, and it's really actually kind of fun. So I want to remind people, we're getting close to the end here, um, that if you've never done this and you're intimidated of going to any um, government meeting of any sort, grab a buddy, 
contact Informed Choice Washington. We'd be happy to, if we've got somebody in the area, match you up with an experienced person. And once you learn how empowered you feel to get up and, and speak your voice, to research a subject and make an impact in, at your local government, it's fabulous. It, it, it really is. I didn't think I would love it, but I really do. Yeah, I, we're I gonna, love. Yeah, we'd like to encourage our members to plan on at least one visit to Olympia this year. Uh, we'll find yeah. a cause. There'll certainly be at least one bill they'll want to be passionate about for or against. And so mm -hmm. this is a, the audio call for action to plan on a one trip at least to Olympia to support yeah. or oppose a bill. And we'll be yeah. happy to go with them. And you'd be amazed once you get in there and you make those relationships and you, the next time you go, somebody in the hall, you know, a, a, a legislative assistant or a senator goes, hey, how you doing? It's good to see you. Glad you're here. They actually do say that, don't they, Bob? Even Washington. So glad you're here. <laughs> yeah, well, even with our divisive subject matter, which can be uh, kind of a hot potato sometimes, we still have friends. Yeah. We still have good legislators that are willing to stand up. And, and over the years, uh, we may have lost a couple, but we still have good, friendly legislators we can always rely on to kind of point us in the direction we need. Yeah, you betcha. Well, Pete Serrano of the SilentMajorityFoundation.org. It has been such a pleasure speaking with you just before the Christmas holiday here. Um, we're wishing you, a, you know, just we're going to send you lots of prayers, lots of love. Anybody wants to volunteer to do some public records requests for you, just go to your website and email you through the website, I imagine. Absolutely. That's the best way to get us. Yeah. Well, thank you again for being on our show and, and being an advocate for liberty. Um, we'll have you back on in the new year. And, you know, anytime you've got news to relay, just reach out to us. We'd be happy to bring you on and, and um, have you update us on your causes. Uh, Bob, as always, wonderful spending a couple hours on the radio with you. Uh, and Merry, Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. For sure. Yeah. So, everybody, Merry Christmas. Um, and we'll see you one more time before the new year. You're listening to the Liberty Hour on Inform Life Radio at 1150 AM KKNW. We will see you next week. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. 
Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.